Luke 2, verse 7. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, what power does one verse in the Bible have? Lord, I'm, I believe that it has all the power we need today and right now. And so would you reveal yourself to us through this verse as we dive in and get to know the backstory and the implications of what it means that you incarnated yourself, that God became man and dwelt with us. I pray that you would do a work now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know me, you need to know that I am obsessed with Christmas. Generally speaking, like I love the Christmas songs. I love the Christmas uh, movies. I love the decorations. I love taking our kids out and, you know, finding candy cane trees. And I just, I love it all. But over the years, as I've uh, um, participated in Advent and and, and studied and prepared, I've kind of come to realize that there is a gap between the kind of like clean, joyful, bright light Christmas that we all love to celebrate and the really rugged and dirty and interesting moment that we're actually remembering this holiday season. And I think it's important for us to just recognize that. Like, the world always seems to be chaotic, right? All year long, we're hearing information about wars and famine. All year long, we have friends and family who are sick, who are passing away. There's people on the brink of divorce. And then we come to Christmas and it's like, let's put on our best, put on all the bright lights and pretend like everything's good for 30 days or so. And I think that it's just important to look back at the moment we are actually celebrating and see that it's not that clean cut. And actually, that's good news for us. That it's that deep joy doesn't come from pretending everything is perfect, that everything is Instagrammable, but rather deep joy comes from the reality that God incarnated himself into our lives, that he chose to dwell among us through all of the muck, through all of the mire, to even the mess of what it takes for a human being to be born. And that's what I wanna look at this. And the reason why I think this is important because a potentially clean perfectly good, everyone's smiling Christmas might make us assume that God being with us is sort of this, like in order for him to dwell with us and make himself known, we have to do that. We have to clean everything up and make everything look good to prepare for him to be in our lives. But what we read in scripture is that he doesn't wait for us to get it together. He comes after us in the midst of us not having it together. 
he brings salvation through the mess of it all. And I think we need to start by remembering like the, the, the experience that Mary and Joseph are having in this in this moment, right? We've got a young pregnant teenager and she does not get like the birth plan that she wanted. You know what I mean? Like they had to travel outside of their home, of their town, of the place that she probably wanted to have Jesus. And they're in a city in a town that is not their home. And that's got to be really uncomfortable for her. I mean, like Kelly and I, we got to choose Mission Viejo Hospital to be our hospital. We chose it because it's close, it's reputable, it's safe, but primarily because they have amazing breakfast burritos. I'm not kidding, actually. Like five-star Yelp review breakfast burritos. If you're considering having a child, I highly recommend Mission Viejo Hospital. Mary doesn't get that privilege. Mary is in a tough situation. She likely had to walk through the desert in her third trimester, and now she's having a baby in essentially a barn. And that's the first thing that I want to focus on in our one verse, and that is this. There was no guest room available for them. I love the way the CSB translates this because in other translations, what we get is like there was no availability for them at the inn. And the problem in my mind with that translation is that it makes us think of like hotel or motels. Like we think, oh, maybe they traveled to Bethlehem. They got there and they just saw like no vacancy signs. They knocked on a couple of doors and nothing was available. And so somebody was kind enough to give them like this barn for them to have a baby in and to sleep in. But actually what commentators would tell you is that, well, one, the, the, the modern day 21st century consumeristic way of traveling just didn't exist back then. There were no hotels or motels. There were no inns per se in the way that we think of them. Instead, when Mary and Joseph traveled, it was more likely that they traveled to a family member's house and that in that family member's house, there was simply no room for them to stay in a good spot. See, what would happen back then is that during these consensus, the whole family would flood into a place like Bethlehem and that room or the house would be absolutely crowded. Imagine like home alone opening scene, right? Chaos everywhere, cousins peeing the bed, uncles telling inappropriate stories. Everyone's a little frustrated, bumping elbows with each other. And apparently, well, what would end up happening is that there's like sort of an order of importance in the family. There's always a guest room and the highest family member would get that one. There was a living room that you could sleep in. And here's something that's extra biblical, somewhat speculative, but commentators like to wonder, and that is this. You have a pregnant woman, and she seems to be on the lowest of the totem pole in this family. Like the lowest spot that you stay in a family house that's really busy is in the manger with the animals, and, and you can't help but wonder, was there family tension there? Like, is it possible that the family members were like, yeah, sure, virgin birth? That was probably a place of like disgust and disappointment to them. And you have to imagine, even if they were the last ones to arrive, let's say they were late because it, she was pregnant and, you know, walking pregnant is slow. Uh, still, you, that's not offensive, right? <laughs> I've, I remember the waddle. <laughs> 
you have to imagine that like this is a very hospitable culture. Was there not anybody that's like, take my bed? And yet she's there in, in the manger with the animals. I don't know about you guys, but there's something about the reality that Jesus knew what like an imperfect family looked like where family gatherings were tenacious, where there's uncomfortability, where there's expectations that have not been met. He was born into a life that we know the details about. One of the other things I want to focus on is this. Mary sustained a God who was sustaining her. Look again. She wrapped him tightly in cloth. Who's the him in that part of this sentence? God, a mother wrapping, swaddling God? Have you guys considered the implications of what that could possibly mean? I mean, think about that. This is God of the universe, God who simply spoke in all things that are in existence came out of his mouth. Like in other creation stories, there's gods at war with each other. There's gods needing to mesh together muck to create things. There's a magic wand where God uses to spell out something that creates the world. But for God, he needs nothing. He needs nobody. He simply speaks in all things that have ever been come to be. Every bug and every beast, every subatomic string and every supernova, all things that have ever been created, that ever will be, every human being have been created by God simply speaking. And that God is being swaddled, clothed, taken care of, being breastfed, Do you guys see the contrast? Do you feel the tension in that reality? Not only that, but as God incarnate, it's important to realize that by God becoming incarnate, he loses nothing of what it means to be God and instead takes on human form. In other words, as I said before, God is the God who created and sustains all things. And so while while Mary is sustaining her baby, God is sustaining her. You know, scientists and philosophers have often wondered what it's like, or I should say why why the world is, uh, is a constant. There's certain laws of the universe that are always happening. And we have no rhyme or reason or expectation to think that those laws of the universe that hold creation in the being should stay the same, and yet they do. Laws like uh, the laws of gravity, thermodynamics. And the thing is, is that if these laws stopped, ceased to exist, it's not that life would stop existing. It's that creation as we know it would be chaos, It would simply be non-existence. In other words, those laws that we can't explain, isn't it possible that when we, through science, discover these unexplainable laws that we're bumping against the hands of God who hold all of creation together? God holds together 
Mary as she holds and cares for, for his life. And to think that it's this God, this God who chooses to be born the same messy way you and I have. That he would choose his way into the world through the birth canal of a woman. That he would move through amniotic fluid and placenta. Like it might feel sacrilegious to consider the reality of a gooey baby Jesus. But actually, I think it's a hint and a good reminder to understand what it exactly means to say God incarnate, that he came into this world naked in need of his mother. He came in just like you and I, the almighty born vulnerable, Christ was born of blood. He, take, he chose to take on vulnerability, naked and weak, just like we so often feel in this life, naked and weak. Our Savior knows something about that as a baby. It might be hard to understand, and honestly, I don't. <laughs> If I'm being honest, to, to, to think that God incarnate yet sustainer of the world and uh, Ray Ortland, sorry, Gavin Ortland has this great metaphor that he uses that I'd like to share with you. He says, think as if J.R.R. Tolkien decided to write himself into the story of Lord of the Rings. So imagine J.R.R. Tolkien sitting at his desk and he begins to write that he joins the fellowship somehow. And now he's writing and, and so you're reading it and you're thinking like, okay, here is Tolkien. He's experiencing hunger and fear and uncertainty. He is in this world and J.R.R. Tolkien is in the world while at the same time outside of the world, writing and sustaining and creating the story. While a metaphor can't handle it perfectly, that begins to give us an understanding of what it means that God would be in the world yet outside the world, sustaining it all at once. And so practically, practically, what does this mean to you and me? Right? Like, all right, that's like, my wife gives me a hard time because like when I get philosophical, she's like, I don't think people like that. And she's probably right. So I apologize. <laughs> I heard some amens. It means three things for us. First, God is with us in the mess. In the mess. It means that you don't have to put on a good show. It means that God, while we as human beings feel like, man, we got to put it together before we invite our neighbors over for dinner. We got to clean the room. We got to put all the mess away. We got to close the closets. Like God is not waiting for you to get it together. And actually Ryan, stole my, Ryan Hacker stole my thunder when he was preaching because the first sermon that we did during Advent, I said that uh, this call is like the king is coming, get ready. And I left that as sort of a cliffhanger in a bit because what we need to realize now is that we can't get it together. We can't get ready truly. 
And the good news, what we see here in the incarnation is that the Lord doesn't wait for us to get it together. He joins us in the mess. He incarnates himself to be with us. God is with us in the manger, in the mess. He is the God who touched the untouchable leper. He is the one who saw the blind beggar. He is the one that draws near to you. He sees, he knows, he loves. In the mess of it all, man, there are moments in all of our lives that we know we're broken, that we know we don't have it together. And it's so easy for us to hide that from others. And let me tell you, spoiler alert, we are all on the same page. I don't know you personally, but I know us through God's word. We don't have it together. And there are moments in our lives where we are acutely aware of our weaknesses, of our brokenness, where we feel naked and afraid. God is with you. God with us. He's not waiting for you to get it together. God is with us in our failures or in our sins. The thing is, he doesn't just fellowship with the lepers and the beggars and the blind. He leans down and picks up a prostitute. He has dinner with a tax collector. He is with us. Incarnation means that God dwelt amongst sinners. Romans 5, 8, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is not waiting for you to, to get it all together before joining him. He came into the world naked and weak as a baby because he did not need to wait for you to go to him. Maybe in this moment, for some of you, you know that there are things in your life that God maybe is displeased with. And maybe that prevents you from having a vibrant prayer life, being a member and being known at a local church. Maybe just like the things that you know about yourself prevents you from knowing the love that God has for you because you think, I got to get a couple things together before I join him. Please see right now that God has gone to infinite lengths to be with you. He has stopped at nothing to dwell among his people. God wants fellowship with you, with all of us. He has drawn near to you. And he is inviting you through the incarnation to draw near to him. He has come to make all things right that we have made wrong. And I want to invite you guys, sort of a, a challenge for the rest of the year, to draw near to him in prayer. To spend time considering what it looks like to, to accept the reality that God is with you. I love the way Daniel Steele talks about prayer. 
it's something to achieve. I'm not reading this going like, this is how it is for me, so watch this. This is like, I read this and I'm like, homie, what is your prayer plan? Because I need this. I don't think he'd appreciate it if I called him homie. Almost every week and sometimes almost every day, I feel a pressure of his great love that comes down on my heart in such a measure as to make me groan under an almost unsupportable plethora of joy. At such times, he has unlocked every apartment of my being and flooded them all with the light of his presence. The inner spot has been touched and its stoniness has been melted in the presence of Jesus, the one altogether lovely. Man, like, God was born a baby in the mess of it all. I've, I witnessed uh, babies being born. It is disgusting. Don't let Eric Donahue tell you any differently. It's gross. Like, uh, sure, pal. And you guys should know, like Kelly, like my wife, for those of you who don't know her, is a champ. Like, she fears nothing. She feels nothing. She's like a linebacker in the pregnancy room. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, like I, I think in my mind it was like, hey, I'm going to want you here to support me, to encourage me. We're going to do this together. She was like heading in. She's like, listen, don't talk to me. Don't encourage me. Don't touch me. And don't let me catch you breathing. <laughs> like she did not want, she honestly, I think she wanted me there because it was more like you did this to me. You're going to have to watch it all. <laughs> At one point, she was, like, reaching out, and I thought, like, oh, she, like, changed her mind. She wants to hold my hand. So I go to grab her hand, and she's, like, whacks it away and grabs the edge of the bed and then pushes. And I was, like, oh. Like, it was hard on me, guys. That's all I'm saying, okay? And the other thing is, it's, like, it's, it is gross. Like, her water breaks, and you're, like, that's not water. Listen, if you've not had a kid, they're lying to you. That is not water, okay? And there's all sorts of stuff that comes out with a baby. It's, it's like a biological clown car. Like, it's just a lot is all I'm saying. <laughs> Here's why this matters. <laughs> I am. That is, it is those moments that Jesus experienced he was born a baby. He went through that process. God, as we were talking about before, God, creator, sustainer, he chose to do that, to experience that, to step in to our lives, to the mess, to the awkwardness of being a human and all of the processes that come along with that, growing up in it all. He has experienced it. He knows it. He does not want you to think of him as God who stands off aloof, full of power, and, a, and, and like a lack of empathy, a lack of understanding. He knows what it's like to be human. Why? Because he loves us. Which means that God is also with us in our fears. You know, a few weeks ago, I, I talked about the pronouncement. And one of the first things, if you think about this, God goes silent between the Old Testament and the New Testament for 400 years. 
And then the first time he speaks again, he speaks to Zechariah as it pertains to the birth of John the Baptist. And he says to him, do not be afraid. That is the first words after 400 years of being silent. Do not be afraid. And then he goes to Mary. And again, do not be afraid. And then he goes to Joseph. Do not be afraid. How can we draw near to God? I want to invite you to draw near to God in your fears. Whatever it is that you're afraid of. Whatever your whatever fears we have in our own lives, whatever our weakness are, our sins are, if we're afraid of our future, if we don't know how things will turn out, if we're afraid that things will never change, that we can never change. Because when we're afraid and we don't go to God, it can feel like silence, like God is being silent with us. Man, my invitation to you is to let your fears be the starting point, a divine invitation to connect with the God who made you. Allow those fears to be a divine invitation. And as you pray, my my prayer for you is that you would hear God return back to you, do not be afraid. I have come for you in the mess, in the muck, through the sin, I'm not waiting for you to clean it up or hide it. I'm coming through it for you. That is why he has come. That is why he has lived. That is why he has died. And that is why he has promised to bring back his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It's not that we can get it together. It's that he's bringing it all together for us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.